Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Parcast Network's latest podcast program, Mythical Monsters. The great heroes of myth are known throughout the world. Their deeds are legendary. But what would these champions be without obstacles in their paths? Dragons, sea serpents, giants, demons. They aren't merely foils to the hero. They're primal symbols reflecting ancient truths. Parcast's latest program, Mythical Monsters, tells the stories of these beasts and asks what they represent to mankind. I'll be back after our first story to tell you a little more about Mythical Monsters, and where you can listen in. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and be prepared to be unsettled. This show is about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about alien intrusions, schoolyard specters, and regrettable rituals. I'm Otis Jiry, host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fourth season, and available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found, filling in for Steve Taylor. Tonight I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors 
of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Jason Hill, Erica Garafa, and Christopher Keegan. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds. Brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from author Seth Paul is a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights exclusive original story and is voiced by Jason Hill. It concerns a man whose friend, after trying everything else, goes to extreme lengths to heal what ails her, even if the cost is incalculable. Without further ado, I present to you, at your command, I think when most normal people think of the internet, they're thinking social media, online shopping, news, the occasional porn site. Now people talk about the dark web, a place of untamed wilderness where gangsters are selling guns, using bitcoin to do untraceable transfers to build criminal enterprise. But somewhere in between, there are places that straddle that fine line between the illegal and what anyone can find with one wayward Google search. That was how I found out about Diamondback. You might think I misspelled it, but no, that's how he uses it. Or she. I just assumed it was a man, but I'm not really sure, since Diamondback uses a voice changer whenever he goes on the air. Yes, on the air. Diamondback regularly appears on weird late-night radio shows, the real late stuff, as an airing just before bakers are getting up in the morning, all about alien conspiracies and the reptilians. If you don't know about the reptilians, look them up online. There's hours of fun about them. The only reason I even know anything about Diamondback is because of a friend of mine. My friend was in a car accident a while back. She was at a red light and a teenager on a learner's permit didn't hit the brakes soon enough. While the cars were only mildly damaged in the crash, my friend got really bad whiplash and refused to see a doctor. Her mother died in a malpractice suit, and she's been leery of doctors ever since. Trouble is, now she gets chronic neck and back pain, sometimes to the point where she has to stay in bed all day. At first she just tried Tylenol, but it just dulled the pain. It never got rid of it. She turned to all sorts of holistic stuff, but that didn't do the trick either. One day, her pain was so bad she called me up crying, saying she didn't know what else to do. So I tried to be a good friend and went to look up something she hadn't come up with yet. Most of my searches ended up with either finding vitamin dealers, herbal supplements and teas, or weed dealers from states that had legalized the stuff. I was at a loss. Then, on a whim, I tried searching physical intervention. I thought maybe it would lead to some weird chiropractors or healing doctors who might work like chiropractors, but with more crystals and patchouli. Instead, a couple of clicks in, there was Diamondback. You might now be picturing a website full of dark symbology, mystic runes, weird rituals, near-satanic references... Diamondback was none of these things. 
The whole site looked like fan fiction devoted to Star Trek, but with less comprehension. Rotating gifs left over from the mid-90s cluttered the page like a back alley full of wooden pallets. The color scheme was all pseudo-futuristic, with a lot of metallic whites and grays. It was also hilarious. I spent the better part of a day reading over the blog postings as he rambled on about distant galaxies, contact with higher beings, and how positivity would make all of our dreams come true. Well, maybe I was a little cynical about it, but if you saw it, you might cut me a little slack. And yet, the guy had a whole team of devotees. He actually had a forum where people could talk about their own connections to a higher power, a very few of them looked like trolling posts. But the big kicker was when I read about the command. In one of his most recent posts, he talked about a method by which these higher beings could fix everything wrong with you. A code phrase. Just speak it three times, out loud or in your mind, and these benevolent beings will be able to gain control of your central nervous system and correct all your ills. I sent the link to my friend. I didn't send it as a joke, but I was hoping maybe, just maybe, she would read it, understand how silly her worry was, and finally see a doctor before her pain got much worse. She wrote me back a day later. Thanks! It worked! Oh, feeling so much better! It worked. I couldn't believe it. I had to see for myself. I drove over to see her. It was the first time in a long time I had seen her with a smile on her face. She said she hadn't slept so soundly since the accident. She wasn't quite sold necessarily that it was aliens from another galaxy that did it, but she was damn sure something fixed her. It wasn't even like the phrase itself was a self-help mantra or daily affirmation. It was just gibberish, really, but she said it was something special. I checked her Facebook page the next day and I saw an update where she had created a new group. Healing Through Command. At least 15 people had signed up for it. My jaw dropped. She was already spreading the word to other people. Hey, if it worked, more power to her, I guess. I, on the other hand, had a life to live and I went on with business as usual. I kept checking in, though, and I saw the group was getting bigger. Almost ridiculously big. I called her once the group had reached 1,300 people. Hey, how's it going? Oh, great. No more pain. I'm so glad you found that site. It's been so helpful. I see your Facebook group is really taking off, too. The line went silent for a minute. What Facebook group? You're one about healing through command. What are you talking about? I haven't been on Facebook in months. Well, maybe somebody hacked your account. You've got 1,300. I checked the site again. Whoa. Now almost 2,500 members. Can, um... Can I call you back? Sure. I didn't hear from my friend for a while. I did keep checking in on healing through command, and was amazed how well it seemed to be working. People by the thousands were signing up for it, and it wasn't just bot accounts. I read through people talking about how their gout went away and how their migraines disappeared. Hell, one guy even said he didn't need a wheelchair anymore. It even melted my cynical heart a little to read about so much good being done. 
months went by, and as the holidays approached, I decided to give my friend a call. She did not pick up. Weird. She always did when I called. I tried three more times. Still, nothing. I drove over to her place to see if maybe she was just busy feeling good, or maybe leaving her phone at home while she went out for a jog. I rang her doorbell. She didn't answer. Well, maybe she really was out for a jog. I was about to leave when I heard a crash from inside. I knocked. The door came open a little. Why would she leave it unlocked? I pushed in and called to her. Go away! The way she screamed it, I almost did. But I couldn't. Something was definitely wrong. The scream had come from her kitchen. I went in to find her there. She was holding a knife and it was covered in blood. On the floor was a body. I recognized it. Her ex-boyfriend, Sam. He had stopped seeing her when her neck pain had gotten worse. I'm not sure if she had tried to patch things up or he did, but by the wound in his neck it had not gone well. She looked up at me. I told you, I don't have much time. Every day they have me a little more and more. What? Who are you talking about? But suddenly, her eyes glazed over. Her mouth forced itself into a smile. She lifted the knife and pointed it at me, but it was slow, shaking, like she was fighting some irresistible, invisible force. Why, hello. Good to see you. I'm afraid I'm busy right now. You should go. Her head ticked back and forth like a clockwork figure. It reminded me of the robot from the Great Mouse Detective movie. A wobbly, unsteady thing that tried to imitate life, but wasn't truly alive. That was when she moved to stab me. I raised an arm to defend myself and I just managed to deflect it away. But she was fast, and she immediately went to do it again. I grabbed her wrist. It didn't do much good. She was unusually strong all of a sudden. And then, her mouth dropped its smile, while the rest of her continued to push the knife closer and closer. You have to do it. I've tried. They won't let me harm myself. It took me a moment to realize what she meant. To this day, I still cannot completely forgive myself for what I did even though I still tried to tell myself it was the right thing to do. I twisted the knife, using the unusual strength against her, forced the knife into her own heart. I sat in her kitchen, both bodies on the floor. I know I cried for a while and then called the police. I assumed they wouldn't believe me, but I really didn't care at the time. I then looked around her home. I needed something, anything, to explain what had happened. I found it in her basement. Set up in the middle of the open, unfinished space was a doorframe. It looked just like she was installing a new room in there, but 
The frame wasn't attached to anything. No walls, no hinges, just a, a frame with empty space. The only thing out of place about it was an electronics box attached to one side with a keypad attached to it. But instead of letters and numbers, the keys were blank. I checked her bedroom. I found papers she'd shoved under her bed. Most of them were pieces of notepaper with symbols drawn on them. Some others were detailed drawings of the door I had found in the basement. There was also an electrical diagram, but I had no idea what it meant. I'm not an electrician, but even I know some of the stuff on there wasn't from anything built on... built on this world. And then there were the last few pages. Notes my friend had written. What is all of this? I keep finding these when I wake up. I'm not remembering things I did in the middle of the day anymore. Oh God, I think I killed a cat. It's hanging from the clothesline in my backyard. I woke up in the basement. I was standing at that keypad. What was I trying to type in? That was the most comprehensible, but that wasn't the worst of it. The handwriting on the weird pages was different from my friend's normal handwriting. I smashed the door to pieces, but I don't know if it helped anything. I just wondered if the rest of her Facebook group is doing the same thing. All 53,000 of them. I hope you enjoyed the Chilling Tales original story, at your command, as written by Seth Paul and performed by Jason Hill. Up next, we've got another tale for you. This one comes to us courtesy of an author who prefers to be known only as the Odd Cat Lady. But trust me, when we tell you this young woman's fiction is nothing to laugh about. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Parcast Network's latest podcast, Mythical Monsters. Dragons, sea serpents, giants, demons. These are the monsters that must be slain by any great hero in myths. But these monsters aren't merely adversaries. They are a reflection of the darkest fears man once had. Each and every Monday, the new Mythical Monsters podcast from the Parcast Network tells the story of these beasts and asks what they represent to mankind. You'll learn the origin of vampires, fanged creatures who roam the earth at night, feeding off the blood of humans. You'll hear about Krampus, a half-goat, half-demon, who shows up during the Christmas season to punish naughty children. And you'll explore the monster behind every child's worst nightmare, the Boogeyman, a creature often used to scare kids into obeying rules. Mythical Monsters Real Nightmares. Follow Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit parcast.com slash mythicalmonsters to listen now. Thanks so much for your time and for giving Parcast's latest show a listen this month. If you enjoy what you hear, please consider leaving them a five-star review and a kind word on their platform of choice. 
and let them know that Otis Jiry and the team at Chilling Tales sent you. It'd mean a lot to us. Now that we've ensured your tank of nightmare fuel will never go empty, courtesy of our friends at the Podcast Network, it's time for another scintillating story of our own. In our second tale tonight, as performed by actress Erica Garafa, a woman recounts a traumatizing experience during middle school and how she found assistance in a most unlikely manner. Without further ado, I present to you Little Dead Nancy. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Little dead Nancy sitting on the bench, one eye long and one eye gone. Little dead Nancy, the red swings open. Come take a seat and swing with me. I almost completed the summoning of Nancy back when I was a kid. I was somewhere in the second grade. I'd just moved to this new school. Long story short, parents divorced, mom got custody, and now instead of playing with my friends, I was surrounded by strangers. I'd almost made the mistake of sitting on the red swing during recess when I was tackled into the sand by two other girls. Don't sit there, that's Nancy's swing! One of them managed to get out as I squirmed free. Who's Nancy? I glanced around the playground, almost as if I expected to see a kid with a name tag that said, Hi, I'm Nancy. The two girls looked at me like I was an idiot before they looped their arms with mine and escorted me to the jungle gym. There, one of the girls, a red pigtailed gal named Leanne, told me the story of little dead Nancy. The legend went that Nancy was a lonely little girl who had no friends and whose parents hated her, all because she was missing an eye. One day, after being beaten up by the school bully, Nancy went up to the swing set and used the red swing to hang herself. Ever since, that swing belonged to Nancy. If I used the red swing, I was just asking to end up like little dead Nancy. If one wanted to speak to Nancy, you had to repeat the little poem you read above while you swung on the green or blue swing. Apparently, she'd start swinging next to you once you recited it. It was unknown what she'd do to you, but I think the common conclusion was that she'd murder you. So, my immediate response to this was to go back to the swing set, plop my butt down on the green swing, and start reciting. I had attracted quite a crowd with this daring stunt, 
and I'd gotten to the second little dead Nancy when the teacher called us back in. Quite a bummer to everyone who'd hoped some zombie child would show up and murder me. But I did end up bonding with Leanne about it. By the next day, I'd all but forgotten about the poem and just settled with playing house with Leanne and the other girl, Eileen. I still kept my distance from that red swing. As I got older, I heard a bunch of stories of what happened to Nancy. Although the most common story was that she hung herself, some people said she was murdered by her parents who were tired of having an imperfect daughter. Another story said it was just an accident that Nancy had been trying to do a loop over the top of the swing set and ended up strangling herself that way. You know, good old kid stuff to keep us spooked. As a sixth grader, I finally went and fact-checked Nancy. Much to my surprise, there had been a death on the playground back in the 70s. But it wasn't Nancy. It was an 80-something-year-old teacher named Georgia Smith. She just croaked while pushing one of her students on the swing. I did share my findings with Leanne, who had almost entirely forgotten about little dead Nancy, and got a real kick out of my sudden morbid curiosity. I didn't really get any more friends other than Leanne and Eileen, and after Eileen ended up moving to Florida, all I had was Leanne. It was okay, we always just got each other. When my first dog died, she helped orchestrate a funeral. I comforted her after she had her very first breakup. I thought we'd end up being friends until we were little old ladies. Then last week happened, when Leanne was murdered, and I almost got killed with her. She was walking me back to my house after a study date when this gaggle of college-age dudes walked up behind us and started whistling and catcalling us. We're sixteen, so gross. Leanne just stuck her head up and looped her arm with mine as we picked up the pace. This didn't settle with one of the guys, who sped up with us and grabbed Leanne's arm, calling her a bitch and asking what her problem was. I could smell the booze on his breath, and I tried pulling Leanne with me, saying that we have to get home as I had curfew. A lie, as my mom doesn't really care where I am ever. But I hoped this freak would get the hint and just leave us alone. It didn't work. This guy refused to let Leanne go and kept asking her to come with him. I can't remember what Leanne said that set him off, but the next thing I remember was my head meeting the brick wall and the agonizing punch of pain of being stabbed in the back. I was lucky. He only stabbed me once. When the cops came to investigate a disturbance, Leanne had been stabbed over 23 times. She was already dead. I was getting pretty damn close to it. But I lived. Fucking hell. I'm alive, and my best friend's dead. The funeral was last Sunday. Our whole school came. People liked Leanne. She was popular, could have done great things. I, on the other hand, was the social recluse who had no future and no friends, other than Leanne, who always made time for me. No one has the nerve to blame me face to face for her death but the only reason she was out that night was to walk me home. Note, I say face to face. I think I'm up to 24 death threats on Facebook from nine different people. Might be ten, but I think two of the accounts are the same person, as they both wrongly spell bleach as blesh. As in, drink blesh, you fucking whore. I think they mean whore. 
I've spent a lot of time walking around in the dark since the funeral. Maybe I wanted to see that bastard again. The description I gave was shoddy, and whoever his shitbird friends are aren't selling him out. Maybe I just wanted to die and was too much of a coward to do it myself, so I wanted to find that bastard to finish the job he started. But last night, somehow, I wound up on the playground. Most of the playground equipment has been replaced, the slide, the merry-go-round, the sandbox. But the swing set was still the same, a rusted testament to the first day I met Leanne. I brushed my fingers on the chain of the red swing, almost laughing as I remember her tackling me to the ground. That almost laughter turned into sobbing as I sunk to the ground. Why couldn't God have taken me too, you know? We were best friends, going to be till the end. I found myself sitting on the green swing without even remembering why I did, as I slowly swung back and forth. The playground was unnervingly quiet. I couldn't even hear any birds. Little dead Nancy sitting on the bench. I glanced at the bench the poem had to be talking about. It had also been replaced with a much nicer looking one. When I'd gone to the school, I think one of the legs had been replaced by a brick. One eye long and one eye gone. What did that poem even mean? One eye long? Kids were fucking stupid. Little dead Nancy, the red swings open. I hiccuped, another tear weaving a path down my cheek. That was as far as I'd gotten the time I'd recited. I remembered Leanne's face eyes wide with anticipation. Anticipation for what, I don't really know. Did that little girl really think that a zombie was going to tear me apart in front of her? Again, kids are dumb, but they don't really mean it. C come take a seat and swing with me. Nothing. Of course. I shook my head and stared up at the sky. I guess I got the answer for what happens when you ask Nancy to swing with you, Leanne, I murmured. Excuse me? I nearly froze as I heard the quiet voice behind me. I whipped my head around and nearly fell off the swing as I saw a little girl standing there. Not a little girl. Nancy. Nancy was standing there. She was a cute little thing. Blonde curls, round face... Well, would have been cute, if one of her eyes wouldn't have just been a black hole, and the other one dangling from the socket, bobbing up against her bruised neck. She fiddled with her pink skirt before reaching into her pocket and pulling out a tissue. You look like you need this, she said. I slowly took it, expecting for her to lunge forward and bite me, but she just smiled as I wiped my face and blew my nose. Thank, thank you. You're Nancy? I asked, just to be sure there wasn't another little ghost girl with a missing eyeball. She nodded before taking her seat on the red swing, kicking her little white Mary Jane shoes back and forth. That's my name, don't wear it out. I remember you, she said. Can you push me? It's really hard to get going. I don't know why I stood up and began gently pushing her, but I did. It was like touching an ice cube rather than a little girl. 
I swear the temperature around her had dropped to 30 degrees, and Nancy herself was even colder. You remember me? Yep, yep, Nancy giggled as she began to swing back and forth. Push me harder, you won't kill me. I do remember you. You almost completed the poem. Rarely anyone does the full thing, and I can't remember the last time someone did it when they were alone. Huh. At this point, I was wondering if I was seeing things and just pushing empty air. But this week had already been fucked enough, so I didn't really care. Do you remember the little girl with me? Red pigtails? Nancy hummed before she bobbed her head up and down. She seemed nice. She got murdered by a creep. That's why I was crying. I'm sorry. The apology sounded quite genuine, which made the next thing that came out of her mouth seem even more what the fuck. Are you gonna kill the creep that killed her? I laughed. I couldn't help it. I was talking to a goddamn ghost child and now she was recommending homicide to fix my problems? That would land me in jail, probably forever, even if the jury would agree with me that he would deserve it. Plus, I don't even know his name. Can't kill a guy if I don't know who he is. His name is Garth. Garth Strickland. He's 24 years old, drives a two-door gray car that's clearly on its last legs. He's currently hiding out at his friend's house in the woods with all the other witnesses, waiting for his problems to just go away because he's a spineless coward who's trying to reason that it wasn't his fault. He was drunk. She called him names. She was dressing like a slut, so she deserved what she got. I nearly passed out. I stopped pushing her and slowly walked out to her side. How do you know? I know lots of things, Nancy chirped, pumping her legs back and forth to keep up the speed. I know exactly where to find him. I know how to take him and his bitchy friends out, too. Eye for an eye, she reached up and flicked her dangling eyeball. Tooth for a tooth. I can help you kill him and gut him so he can't do it again. You think this is the first girl he hurt? This is just the first one he killed. Okay, you're not a little girl, are you? I crossed my arms. What will it cost me to get these creeps? Nancy laughed, and at the peak of her swing jumped off, landing neatly on her feet before turning around. You're pretty smart. You know there's never been a dead kid on this playground. Well, not one within the last few centuries, at least. No, I'm not a little girl. I can be helpful, though. All I ask in return is you let me tag along. I've gotten no action these past few years, and the old bird that croaked here forever ago doesn't count. She just happened to accidentally see what I actually look like, and her ticker couldn't take it. I'd like to say I took my time to think about it. This was serious after all, and I sure as hell couldn't trust Nancy, whatever the hell she was. But I knelt down to her height almost immediately offering my hand to her. Deal. I'll take you back to the playground when we're done, though. Of course. I do like it here, after all. There's a reason I'm a legend among the kids. Nancy took my hand, and she changed. She grew in size. Blonde curls turned into red hair. The dangling blue eye turned to a shade of hazel. I nearly started crying again when I saw Leanne kneeling in front of me. 
She cocked her head to the side before she wrapped her arms around me. The icy temperature gave away that this wasn't my friend, but God, just for a minute, I was going to pretend. I threw my arms around her and hugged her tight. I'm sorry, I said. It wasn't your fault. Don't ever think that again. Thank you for being my best friend. Leanne whispered in my ear before I felt her chill enter my own skin. I closed my eyes as the cold crawled into my bones, deep in my heart, freezing me to my very core. When I stood, I was alone, but I could feel the grief inside of me turn to the coldest rage. Nancy is still inside of me. Every breath I take is borderline painful with the chill. I imagine touching me would be like putting your bare hand on frozen metal. I had to borrow my mom's car to get here, but I'm in the same town where Garth is, and all the witnesses that stood by and did nothing while he murdered an innocent girl. I'll stab each and every one of them 23 times, and each one is going to be for her. I hope you enjoyed Little Dead Nancy by the Odd Cat Lady, as performed by Erica Garafa. Up next, we've got one final dose of darkness for you, in the form of another Chilling Tales for Dark Nights exclusive. This one is an original tale co-authored by Nathaniel Lewis and Chilling Tales creator Craig Groshek, and is part of our ongoing series of stories based on songs inspired by the hip-hop song of the same name by, of all people, Taylor Swift, our next tale follows a gentleman all too happy to go out of his way to help a damsel in distress. But neither of them could predict what would happen when their worlds collide. As brought to life by voice actor Christopher Keegan, I present to you Lover. Looking back, I should have ended things with Allison when she refused to take down the Christmas lights. That's when it became clear to me that there was something very wrong with her. It was the middle of January and she wouldn't take the hint. Babe, I said, the neighbours have stopped waving to me when I see them. Don't get me wrong, I love the lights, it's just... Isn't it time to take them down? The bit about me loving Christmas lights was a lie, but the rest was true. This is our place, Orwin, she said with a fearsome intensity, her eyes flashing with an air of defiance. We make the rules. I gritted my teeth. I didn't want to upset her. Oh, God, I did not want to upset Alison Finley. I hated those damn lights, but if they were necessary to keep her from going off the deep end, then I could live with them a while longer. Another sign that things were wrong was that Alison didn't seem to be able to keep track of time. She would either show up on our dates half an hour late or else she'd be sitting at the restaurant when I arrived on time. I'm always on time. I'd see that her eyes were red and swollen and she'd tell me that she'd been sitting there for the past 30 minutes crying because she thought I'd decided to break up with her. Rather than trying to explain that it was actually her fault because she'd gotten the time mixed up, I would take the blame, apologize for running behind and make up some doubly fake excuse. It was easier that way. 
Once, when we were lying in bed together, she looked me dead in the eyes and asked in complete earnestness, Have I known you for twenty seconds or twenty years? She looked genuinely concerned. As a professional stage and film actor, I'm certainly no stranger to that look, but the randomness of it caught me off guard, and I felt a moment of anxiety myself, as if we were floating in the vast infiniteness of space untethered. So there were signs that things weren't right with Allison, but I ignored them. In a very real way, I felt responsible for her. I found her one day at the Bleecker Street Starbucks in New York, just a few minutes' walk from my apartment. There she was, sitting in the corner by herself, typing away at a laptop. She looked distressed. I guessed that it was due to external circumstances, a bad relationship, perhaps, or something like that. As it turned out, I was both right and wrong. I was right because she'd just broken up with a boyfriend, some unfortunate gentleman by the name of William, and was currently living with her controlling parents. I was wrong because Alison was fundamentally unhinged. She was irreparably broken, and not by a hard life. On the contrary, her father was a wealthy financier. No, Alison Finley was damaged from birth. I personally believe in the existence of souls. There's the flesh and blood, and all the building blocks that make up the physical universe. And then there's something else. Something intangible that cannot be seen beneath a microscope. Something that won't show up in any scans, no matter how sophisticated the method or machine. Something that belongs to realms far different from those we see and touch here on Earth. It's my belief that Alison's soul itself was broken. She'd experienced trauma in this world, of that there was no doubt. The stress she had experienced, however, was mild at best, and it was certainly not what had driven her mad. No. Alison Finley's defects predated her very conception. Some people are just like that. Flawed from birth, and no one knows why. Mind if I join you? I asked her the day we met, holding my grande coffee with extra cream and sugar in one hand. Alison glanced up, and the hard look in her eyes melted on impact. Um, okay. I sat down. I'm sorry for just approaching you like this, but, um... You look so distressed. Is everything okay? Didn't take much prompting for Alison to pour her heart out. Not really, she began. I caught my jerk boyfriend cheating on me and now I'm living with my parents. It's it's like I want to be a singer, but they don't care and they, they want me to go off to college. Not so I can learn something, but so I can meet a nice educated boy and all that. That sounds terrible, I said, humouring her. I'm so sorry. Hey... You know what would really piss off your parents if you just left town and changed your name so they can't find you? I laughed. Alison didn't laugh. That would piss them off, she said thoughtfully. Are you offering? I feigned surprise. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, you're a very beautiful woman and I would very much like to help you, but uh, I'm just in town for the week on business. She looked disappointed. I continued. Why don't we start by getting properly introduced and tell each other our names? There's no need, said Alison, closing her laptop. I feel like I've known you forever. Now that I think about it, that's when the alarm bells should have started ringing in my head.
With my assistance, Alison relocated from New York to England within a week and changed her identity. It's really easy to do that, if you've got the money. That was in December. First thing she did after we arrived was put up Christmas lights. And she kept those goddamn lights up right until the very end. Aside from the decoration, things went well at first. I introduced her to my family, and she liked them. She enjoyed their company so much, in fact, that she insisted they spend the night at our house one week. That seemed fine initially, until the night she snapped. It was 1am on January the 16th. A wild party that we'd hosted was coming to an end, and Alice and I were on the sofa. I was actually dozing off, but she was wide awake. Several of our friends were scattered around the living room, lying on air mattresses that Alison had set up. Suddenly, Alison stood up on the couch and started screaming, You all want to fuck Orwin! Our guests began to stir. My mate Jamie shot up and looked around. What's going on? he cried. Alison jumped off the couch and ran into the kitchen. She returned with a massive butcher knife in her hand. You're all jealous of me! she screeched, waving the blade around. Babe, I reasoned with her, now fully alert. Please, this is unseemly. They all want to fuck you, but they can't. You're mine, Orwin. Mine forever. That was the night we locked her in the attic. The next day, Jimmy and I sat awkwardly sipping tea as we heard Alison strumming her guitar overhead. I don't know, mate, I said. I don't know if the Lord's going to accept this one. I think she already belongs to him. I pointed to the ceiling. You hear that? Even after we chained her to the wall and beat her, she's still up there singing a fucking love song about me. Jimmy scooped another lump of sugar into his tea and stirred it. You can't show up at the feast empty-handed or when you know that. There's still time to find someone else, I protested weakly. Bollocks, he replied. That's a lie and you know it. Look, I'm sure everything will be fine. No disciple of Satan would put up Christmas lights, let alone keep them up well into January. But I allowed it, I groaned. It happened in my house. Jimmy tried his best to reassure me. It's not your fault, mate. You were following protocol. Above us, muffled by layers of brick and timbers, Alison reached the climax of her song. You're my lover. She crooned. A chill ran down my spine. When it was time to retrieve Alison and bring her to the ceremony... My so-called friends were nowhere to be found. Left to my own devices, I resigned myself to my fate. I pushed open the trap door, and the stench hit me like a punch in the face. Alison was still strumming her guitar, and her mouth hung open as if she was trying to sing. In her weakened state, all she could manage was the occasional grunt. It was unsettling. I wanted to rush back down the steps and forget that I'd ever seen her, but I couldn't. The ritual required a sacrifice. Hey, babe, I said timidly. I'm going to go ahead and remove your chains now, and then we're going to go on our honeymoon. Does that sound okay? Alison stopped strumming her guitar and nodded eagerly, smiling, her eyes welling up with tears. Hesitantly, I approached her as teardrops fell down and splashed against her guitar. I undid the restraints and took a cautious step back. Are you ready? I asked. Alison rubbed her neck where deep red impressions from the chain remained. 
She set down her tear-soaked instrument and stood up. Yes, lover, she said feebly. I felt on edge as we drove to the ceremony. Alison was handcuffed to the passenger side headrest, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was in danger something was wrong. I worship Satan, and have on occasion caught glimpses of hell itself, but what I saw in Alison's eyes was something quite inexplicable and far worse. It was the void itself, which is something that we don't talk about. The automobile ride seemed endless. I just wanted to get the whole thing over with. I noticed you took down the Christmas lights, said Alison in a raspy voice. I suppose it was overdue. Have you started planning for Valentine's Day yet, darling? I couldn't take it any more. Listen, I said, we're going to cut out your eyes and place them on the altar so Satan may see you are going to die. Alison laughed. It was more of a wheeze, actually, but it triggered all the nerves in my body regardless. No, silly, that's impossible, she grinned. If I die, that means we can't be together anymore, and we're going to be together for all the summers it's meant to be. After that, there was nothing else to say. Alison started singing her creepy song about me again, and I drove as quickly as I could without drawing attention to myself. By the time we arrived at the temple, I was an absolute mess. According to our schedule, Alison's sacrifice was to follow Jimmy's, just before the goat. Please let me go first, I begged him. I don't know, mate. The orders must be followed exactly, Jimmy said. You know that. Now is not time to make rash decisions. From behind us, Alison croaked out her favourite lyric. You're my lover, she wailed. Jimmy looked back at her and frowned in the flickering candlelight. He shuddered. All right, he conceded. You can go first. I can see what you mean. Let's get it over with. I let out a sigh of relief and grabbed Alison's arm. Are we getting married? She asked with an unsettling smile. Something like that, I muttered, leading her down the aisle. By the time we got to the altar, my hand was shaking so badly that I was afraid I'd drop the knife. Just don't screw this up, Alwyn, I told myself. Everything must be done very precisely. We're going to be together forever, said Alison. Without a word, I reacted, driving the sacrificial blade into her face just below her eye socket and jerked it around roughly. Oh no, I thought, realizing instantly what I'd done. I was supposed to recite the incantation first. I'd made a huge mistake. I was certain of that, but the way she said that up there, just moments from being slaughtered in that sing-song voice, no less, it set my nerves aflame, and the temptation was too strong. I pried out one of her eyes, and then started in on the other as I mumbled out the prayer. Oh Lord, please accept these eyes so that you may see and return to us. The blood poured out of Alison's empty eye socket, strewn with wet gore and the remains of severed veins, but she wasn't screaming. They always screamed. Anyone would. Anyone but Alison, that is. Alison Finley wasn't screaming, no. She was smiling. When I saw that, panic erupted throughout my entire being. 
In my stupor I was caught off guard as Alison reached up and clutched my wrist while I was in the process of removing her remaining eye. That gave me a sense of relief. Finally, I thought, she's fighting back. But she wasn't trying to push me away from her. She was pulling the knife deeper. I watched in horror as she guided my hand, carving out a shape around her eye. It was a heart. She was carving a fucking heart around her eye socket. Terrified, I struggled to pull my hand from her grip, but she was strong. Much more so than anticipated, given her blood loss, and determined to finish her masterpiece. When she was done, she suddenly let go, and my hand jerked back, knife and all, sending the severed eyeball catapulting across the temple. Fuck! I cried as I heard it land somewhere with a splat. Still, Alison smiled. You're my... my... my lover, she groaned before falling to the ground face first. Her body jerked once, and then stopped moving. Can someone find that eye? I asked, my voice quivering. I... I need a breather. I stumbled outside and lit up a cigarette. I stared up at the moon and wondered if it had all been worth it. Satan had previously incarnated just once, for the express purpose of giving us a brief glimpse into hell and to berate us for not working harder. It was a wonderful experience, truly, but was it worth all that I'd just gone through with Allison? I wasn't convinced. I went back inside just as my colleagues were placing the second goat horn on the altar and joined them for the final incantation. We passed the goblet of blood to one another and drank deeply. Then we waited. Nothing's going to happen, I thought. And everyone's going to blame me for ruining the ritual. I wondered if they'd kill me. But then something did happen. A plume of smoke appeared in front of the altar. And as it cleared, I saw a tall figure standing there with magnificent horns and a fleshless, muscular face. It was the physical embodiment of our Lord himself. With nervous excitement, I watched as he stepped forward and pointed at me. Yes, my lord, I said shakily. Gaze upon me, he commanded in a voice equal parts human and serpent. I looked him in the eyes. A sharp pain radiated throughout my chest when I realized I recognized the eyes. They were Allison's. Of course they are, I thought. In an effort to calm myself down, you gave them to him so that he may see. What did you expect? I scoffed at my childish insolence. It's not as if he absorbed Alison's soul, her personality, her defects. I convulsed involuntarily. It was only her eyes. What would you have me do, Lord? I asked, wavering on the brink of insanity. Are, are the candles too bright? I shall extinguish them. Your desire is my only command, Lord. No, he said, as an uncharacteristic smile formed on his fleshless face. We could leave them up till February. This is our place. We make the rules. And we're going to be together forever. 
you enjoyed Lover by authors Craig Groshek and Nathaniel Lewis, as performed by Christopher Keegan. That story, again, was based on a Taylor Swift song, if you can believe it. We invite you to check out the lyrics to the song and its music video, and then to listen to the story again to see how an unlikely source became the inspiration for such a sordid tale. If you enjoyed the story based on Song's concept, I'd like to remind you that a couple episodes back, we featured a story based on a tune by thrash metal legends Slipknot called Birth of the Cruel, Together We Burn by Seth Paul. If you haven't yet, please check that out too. And of course, if you've got a song you'd like to see adapted into a spooky tale, please contact director Craig Groshek at Craig at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com to let him know what you'd like to see, and we'll do our best to see if we can make it happen. If you enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, the Podcast Network, and their latest podcast program, Mythical Monsters, for their support of this show. Don't forget, you can listen to a brand new episode of Mythical Monsters every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever podcasts can be found, 100% free. Or visit parcast.com slash mythicalmonsters to listen now. Thanks again for giving Parcast's latest show a listen this month. As a reminder, if you enjoy what you hear, please consider leaving them a five-star review and a kind word on the platform of your choice, and let them know that Otis Jarry and the team at Chilling Tales sent you. I'm your host, Otis Jarry, and it's been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a production of Chilling Entertainment, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Jack. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases or search for my podcast scary stories told in the dark 
where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing. Make a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>